Welcome to the Momentum Fitness Podcast. Okay, so I think you don't seem to go landscape, so I'm going to put you portrait. Is that right? Yeah, see, I'm I'm normal and you're portrait. Yeah, you're the other way around. So how about that? Yeah, that'll be fine. Does that work for you? Yeah, it's fine. That'll be fine. Right. Okay. It's not perfect, but... Well, uh, I, th- I think we can both conclude that neither of us will ever be working as sound engineers or producers on no. podcasts after no. uh, our luck with that tech. How you doing, mate? I'm good. Are we live? Does this count, then? Yeah, this is live. Yeah, you're... All right, this is it. Awesome. Yeah, we're live on YouTube, so... Uh... I don't know how many people will be watching this. Obviously, probably one if we're lucky. Uh, let's make a couple of disclaimers. Uh, firstly, I might swear. Um, but you never know. Um, we do have a slightly unstable connection. It may disappear, go up and down slightly. So, Luke, if you lose me a little bit, just bear with it. Um, I am down the end of the garden in the shed. So, um what else can we say? Um, that's about it, really. Um, my name's Neil Meekins. I'm presenting this Momentum podcast. This is all about fitness professionals, everything to do with the fitness world. So from lifting to nutrition to whatever, what, even how it affects trainers and coaches in this kind of world that we're living in at the moment, which is probably a big one that we might touch on. Um, we don't want to get too political, but what comes up comes up, you know, we just go with it. and. We're never going to be right. Uh, we're, we're going to be right sometimes, maybe a lot of times, but we're also going to be wrong. We don't know the answers to everything. Yeah, so I'm Neil Megan's. I have actually worked with Luke in the past, haven't I, Luke? Um, we've worked in London together for a few years. Um, but although we work together, we don't. you don't very often get a chance to sit and talk, do you? No, we don't. <laughs> no. So even though we kind of... You know, it's very professional. We do our job. We talk about things like we might be talking about somebody's squat, for instance. So I was working more on the rehab side of things. And Luke heads up the uh, personal training uh, body transformation work that he does with uh, a team of people in London. He works at, um, we might as well mention the guy's name, down at Raw Fitness in London, which are a very prestigious um, personal training studio. Uh, you've got I, should free- probably, I, should probably, I should probably add at this point that uh, obviously any opinions that I may express right now in no way uh, representative of my employer or <laughs> raw fitness or anything like that it is all my uh, my own opinions solely so um no trying to sue companies people no so this is all about luke about what luke does and about his experiences so that that's it in a nutshell so um yeah luke so introduce yourself what do you what, what's your i mean i do hate putting titles on people because it somehow, somehow puts people into little boxes and it's, it's just not always the case but you know give us a give us a rough guide how long have you been in the training world you know what's your kind of specialities mate um, well, firstly, let's, um, let's call me a personal trainer just cause, uh, I'd say that's what I am. I know loads of, loads of personal trainers are kind of giving themselves all different kinds of fancy titles to make themselves sound a bit more important than they are. But, uh, but look, I, I train people and I've been doing so for, I think this will be my 10th year. I think I started at the end of, um, 2011. Yep. Um, I am I because I work at um, Raw, and we are very 
specific in the product that we offer. Um, I work pretty much solely within the 12 week body transformation model and beyond. So my clients, my over overarching goal is obviously to get them as lean and as jacked in as short a time as possible. Um, which, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's had its fair, that kind of model's had its fair share of kind of detractors. Um, and it's very much on vogue to kind of be like anti-diet, anti-transformation, stuff like that. But, you know, I thoroughly, thoroughly believe in that model. Um, and I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it as well. It works. Um, it works. It does work. It does. And I, I think, I would just not jump too deep into this at the moment, it might come up later. And I think, I think the very positive thing about it is that it actually offers a result within a certain time scale. You know, you actually get a product that you've paid for. Whereas I think a lot of what um, a negative side of a lot of personal training, it's kind of just a never ending cycle of, you know, no mm. a lot of hard work and no results. Mm. Like having builders in your house doing a renovation that never ends. Do you ever like, like sometimes there's a, I can understand someone pays for, you, you pay, for, see, this is where it gets funny, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about someone's health. So do you think that by them just paying for, say, a 12-week transformation and you deliver, um, you know, they've lost weight, they've toned up muscularly, do you find that people then go on to take that on as more of a lifestyle choice after doing the 12 weeks? Or do you think the majority of people go back to, you know, knocking back the booze, eating more bad foods, putting on weight again? What's your kind of take on it? What do people, like the general public, what do they do? Look, I think if it's done properly, and I think if the trainer does a good job of conveying that, you know, there is life beyond that 12 week before and after photo, hmm. Um, I, I don't see any reason why, um, there should be that, um, what's the word, why they should, why people should revert back to their old negative habits. Cause like, sure, you know, they, they will drink again. They will go out. I'm sure they'll have the dominoes again, whatever. But if, even if they keep 50% of the good habits that they've been practicing throughout 12 week transformation, they're going to be a hell of a lot fit and stronger and healthier and all the other benefits that we get from training than they would be um if they'd never started in the first place yeah so I'm, all, I'm always honest with clients i'm always honest that that 12-week photo at the end when they're you know ripped out their minds um they're like that for a bit that's like that's that's the tip of the mountain and once you get to that tip of the mountain there's always a journey back down mm. afterwards they're not going to stay like that forever. They're not going to be like that 12 months a year um, because it's not healthy to be that lean all year round. Um, it's not sustainable. If I hate that word. I hate that word sustainable, but um, it's not sustainable um, unless you're actually making money out of it. But even if they get to that lean and then they slip back 20% from that point, that's still probably 80 percent further than they, further than they were when they embarked on it in the first place and then they're not 12 weeks out from being in their best shape, shape ever they might be three weeks out from being their best shape ever and that's kind of what i see is more 
the long-term benefit of it is, you know, you're not going to maintain that pace forever. You're not going to stay that lean forever. But one, it's mm. great to know you can do it. Mm. And then you kind of, then you have a context of, okay, maybe I don't want to stay that lean. Maybe I don't want to be this strict with my life. If I just t- you know dial it back a little bit, maybe I'm a little bit softer, not quite as lean. You know, maybe I relax a little bit more on food and drink and things like that, but I'm still in, I'm still strong and fit. I'm healthy. I'm relatively lean. Um, mm. And, you know, apply whatever kind of medical health markers to that or mental health markers or, or whatever you want. They're certainly a darn sight better than they were when they came in. There's, um, I don't know about you, but there are some people who can stay on a, what we would, let's call it a healthy lifestyle diet, like pretty much constantly, or they seem to, they be seem to be able to eat the right foods all the time and do, at least they say they do. I mean, in my experience, a lot of people don't always stick to as strict a routine as they say i find personally for me what i've found with a lot of people and with myself is i can't maintain the same thing constantly i don't think many humans can can they i mean sometimes it's good to just like just eat too much for a few weeks or a month and then and then start on this diet again it's a, sometimes it's good to back off from training for a while so you get a little bit um not rusty but you, you just can't keep going at it all the time and do you think like us as like humans we should have this real kind of give and take in our diet like the seasons yeah it's not always hot it's not always cold you know it's somewhere in the middle and we kind of change cyclically if that's the right word to our environment so maybe from that sort of standpoint that 12 week kind of body transformation would fit that really well wouldn't it that kind of model hundred percent. I think that training, nutrition, body composition, whatever, we look at it over the space of a year, look at it over the space of five years, look at it over the space of 10 years, there's constant peaks and troughs. Yeah. And there's constant high points and low points. I, like your analogy of like, you know, it moves like the seasons, I think spot on. Yeah. Because I think a lot of it just depends on what other shit you, what other shit have you got going on at the same time? You're not always able to dedicate yourself to, four times a week training, weighing out all your food. I've got a you know, new baby and you know, in all honesty, my, my training and nutrition has gone to shit. During, <laughs> because, Congratulations, yeah. by the way. How old is he? Uh, she, she, she is um, 10 months now. Jesus Christ. And um, is, is waking up every half an hour at night. So, um, you know, you, you can understand that uh, yeah. working out and, counting fucking macros is not the top of my list right now it's one thing i say to yeah a lot of the young pts like i mean let's face it there aren't many older than me in the business but every time when i speak to them i see them having their lives running around doing what they want to do while they're single and i say to them just just wait until you you know you hit that period where you yeah you've got children you've got a wife you've got a mortgage and you know what that must knock out a lot of pretty good personal trainers actually it must just like finish him off because it's not easy is it uh what it's certainly kids getting up getting up at 4 a.m every morning getting back at 10 p.m every night having work to do for the having prep to do for the next day after that getting four hours in bed stuff like you know it's burnout is super common within the personal training industry 
and I think I can't remember what the stat is. Like it might change, but I'm pretty sure the stats for personal trainer burnout was I think something like one in three qualify are out of the industry in six months. In six months. Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the stat. Um, <laughs> Didn't even I, last I, a year. I hundred percent would believe that. I started my career in 2011 in a in a David Lloyd in Cardiff. Um, right. And that was used as a um, PT qualification venue by um, a company called The Training Room. Yeah. Remember them? Yeah, yeah I remember do. Them? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't remember how long the, the qualification took, maybe like nine weeks, something like that. It gets shorter and shorter every year, doesn't it? At least they're uh, around. The, oh, fuck knows. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, get, they make the qualification shorter and shorter every year. They make it more expensive every year. And they yeah. guarantee that, you know, their, their marketing is that they'll guarantee that there's like a 100% pass rate. And that's partly because it's a multiple choice um, questionnaire that a chimp could fill in and get um, 100%. But basically, you'd see these massive groups of excitable young kids all kind of uh, want uh, basically doing their PT qualification. Yeah. And obviously, because I'd see them day in, day out, you know, they're there five days a week, nine yep. weeks or whatever, and I'd always be on the floor. So I'd kind of start recognizing them and know who they were. Um, and then obviously the qualification would end and the, a new influx of kids comes in and stuff like that. There was just outside of Cardiff, there was a, a Starbucks um, on like the main road that um, I used to go to sometimes. And I don't know what it was about that Starbucks. But the amount of PTs or kids that I saw from that PT um, course who then six months later, I'd see behind the counter in Starbucks and it was specifically <laughs> that Starbucks. And it was so many. Man, every, I should be there now. Every group of, say 20 kids, like year in, year out, there'd probably be like five from every group who ended up in Starbucks. Yeah. And it would always be, I'd talk to them and it would always be that Either um, they went into somewhere like a DW um, that charged them a fuckload of gym rent, yep. didn't give them any kind of uh, training or help or whatever, it literally just pushed them out on the floor. This is your rent. Go get some clients. Yeah, man. Um, most of them couldn't because they have no idea what they're doing. Um, and obviously every month, however much comes out and they just start running out of money. There's nothing coming in because they haven't got enough clients to even break even on their gym rent and six months they're out. Um, and the others, the others say the ones who did do quite well, they just couldn't hack getting up at four for your early, early clients and then getting back at 10 for your late clients. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, you're it's not, not you're not selling not the business, Luke. You're not selling the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But look, take, take, take any, take any industry, of people who say done it at the highest level. Not easy. And, and they describe it to you. It's probably not going to sound fun. Well, I, I always, I mean, I speak to, I've seen a lot of new PTs over my career. And um, the one that you get very often is the person that says, well, you know, I, I worked in marketing or I worked, you know, I worked in an office somewhere or whatever. And, you know, I like working out. I've always enjoyed working out. And then they go and do a PT course and they get thrown into a gym. And then they realize that being in a gym every day, early in the morning till late at night, isn't quite as funky and cool as you think it is when you're just doing it as a, you know, a, as a novice or someone who thinks they know what they're doing. Um, 
like someone who's weight training or there are very few people actually i would say very few people that actually take their hobby and it become a professional choice because it spoils your hobby but if you're really into it like i know you are and i am and lots of other people are then it's like you're living your dream but like i can literally stay in the gym all day every day under those lights around those machines not see any sunlight just talking to people about um, health and fitness every day non-stop it's just what i do um but a lot of people can't and and that again whittles down a lot of people doesn't it because they do their training and they can't hack it well also the sheer amount of energy you have to put out per client as a good personal trainer yeah i'll, I'll make that distinction because there's a lot of dead fish on gym floors who perform lifeless inanimate sessions and are checking their phone between but if you're if you're doing pt properly mm. you are putting energy into people and they're taking energy from you yeah every single hour you know you yeah. do you know eight clients a day 10 clients a day however many people are doing yeah yeah it sucks you dry of energy after a while so you know you you have to have a certain level of endurance and mental fortitude to be able to survive within the pt industry well why some of the most successful personal trainers um especially the kind of media-led ones that are up there, you know, in the focus of, like, yeah, the, the, the big media companies, they're, they're often, no disrespect to them, but they're often not very well qualified. And actually, you watch some of their stuff, and it's like, it's really awful what they're doing and how they're teaching people. When you're a professional, you can look back on somebody else and go, my God, what are they doing? But yet these people are the very people that are, really the forefront of our industry in front of the public but um it's more about their personality isn't it than their technical ability you can get well, by I've, I've, you, you can see what they've put the time into they've yeah. put the time into marketing themselves creating content putting themselves out there and you know you, you could argue that for some of those people they kind of cracked the code yeah. on it they, they found the glitch in the matrix because you know, the, the money that I know some of them are making is far in excess of what your average yeah. personal trainer would be like. And obviously, you know, content creation, filming yourself constantly and stuff like that is work in itself. Yeah. Um, but they ain't getting up at 4 a.m. and commuting two hours into a gym and then doing the same on the way back. So, you know, gen generally the most knowledgeable PTs, they've invested their time mm. in theory technique education stuff like that they haven't necessarily invested their time in how to communicate it best to the most possible people so yeah, yeah. you know they they're not necessarily the best people to give fitness advice for the masses mm. because then they're not going to pack it they're not going to package it in the most easily absorbable and digestible way yeah, you know, you know, people obviously people slag off body coach is the best example, right? Um, I know people give him a lot of shit. Um, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. But let, let's be let's be real. The amount of people's lives he's probably affected. Yeah, yeah. For the better. Mm -hmm. By through his like persona and communication by getting them to buy his leaning 15 cookbooks 
do you do lean and 15 something like that that kind of thing um yeah, by yeah. getting him to buy his cook cookbooks and do some fucking jumping jacks and burpees every morning he's probably affected fucking i don't i don't know how many people i've trained over the years you know how many people i've affected positively over the years but it is likely a tiny percentile yeah, yeah. of what he has yeah, yeah regardless of how much more i know my shit than him yeah. so you know I, th I think there is a lot of positives to those people and look they, how much fucking theory do you have to know yeah to, I get mean, someone, I, to get someone to eat protein and green veg and do some something that gets their heart rate up for 20 minutes a day yeah i mean i agree i i mean the body coach yeah i mean i could pick up on any number of his techniques and probably put him right on them but i've got a lot of seniority and experience but what he does as a human being and what he's doing for other human beings is exemplary so somebody's got to do it right somebody's got to do it and you're never gonna look we're 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 run by a political system full of absolute retards in my opinion uh, so if we've got someone like him he's actually a bigger positive role model than a lot of people out there but um somebody's got to do that high level pt job it's just um going going into that and going into the fact that people seem to pick pick people to train with who they like um rather than on their knowledge which is just the way it is. I mean, somebody will choose somebody who's got abs over somebody who's not looking so great, even though they may have 10 times the experience. It's just the way things are. I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people do choose that. I mean, if you go onto Instagram, for instance, and you know, this, this gets me sometimes when you see somebody who's got no experience, they look great and they've got 30,000 followers. And you'll, you, you know, I know some of the coaches in London who have got a, a thousand followers and yet they are absolutely fantastic because sometimes the best people, they don't have time to write the books, to do the social media, to keep on banging it, banging it, banging it. And actually they're the best people. It's the same with the strength coaches and the athletics coaches and like the real high level people. Sometimes they ain't got time to write all this stuff down. <laughs> it's just, they ain't got the time because they're so busy because they're so good. Anyway. Are, but then are they necessarily serving themselves in the best way? Just doing a job. By tying themselves to an hourly rate. And even we, though they're like that, yeah, they're, they're obviously giving it all to their clients. Yeah. But that's arguably, it's arguably why a lot of PTs burn out is that they get stuck in that treadmill of 50 client sessions a week. And, you know, and giving everything they possibly can, all their available possible time to the client. It's a good point. But without actually making any reservation for themselves. That's a really good point. And they end up tired, burnt out, no social life, no relationships, no families. You know no that. No time for anything else. But you and know that because you've been there. <laughs> same well, look, yeah, as, yeah, same but, as me. But the, thing, but the thing is, look, also, but like, like I said, it's also personality time. So I don't actually begrudge doing that partly because look, i didn't really start working until i was 30 yeah you was a rock so, star weren't you yeah yeah i i i toured in a metal band yeah um yeah. but you know i basically i basically had 10 years of drinking and partying and fucking around um before <laughs> i ever actually applied myself to a career so the, the way i look at it is you know i owe a few hours back <laughs> like compared to all the people who have been doing it since you know they were 21 they first 
set foot in a gym. So I don't, I, you know, personally, I don't begrudge putting hours like that in. It's always kind of been like a bit of a, you know, badge of honor if you well, I think there's some people- work and put more hours in than everyone else. But, but, you know, once things like families start coming in, then you do have yeah. to start working a bit smarter because otherwise you spread yourself too thin. Yeah, I mean, car. yeah, when I look at what some of your guys do when they're doing 30-odd clients a week, and I think back to when I used to be able to do that, like, it does just, it kills, you've only got a few years, really, as a personal trainer where you can knock out that that number of people. You've got to be thinking about the future, what you're going to specialise. This is what you're saying, really, isn't it? What you're going to specialise yeah, like, in. How are you going to and, educate and, and yourself? How to, and like, you know, like you said, the, the, guy, the most knowledgeable guys who put all their efforts into just their, their clients – you know, it's awesome that definitely the clients are definitely getting the best version of them. But mm, yeah, that's the question. Is that person serving their long-term career the best Yeah, by doing that day in and day out? Yeah. Or could they actually be more successful and influence more people on a wider scale and have a bit more time for themselves by doing something more like the body coach does? Do you, it's, do you- you know, it's, it's yeah. it's a it's it's a tough question because obviously you do need there's there's room in the industry for everyone. Do you? But do some you, people, some people do seem to have, you know, cracked that code. And I, I can't remember what I heard the body body coach was making. I think like five years ago I heard he was making something like four million per month, oh. uh, turning over four million per month. So nearly as know. much as me then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so argue, arguably, you know, he's doing it right, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you do you do any? Uh, you know, where you guys are, do you do any education for the new guys? Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it? I've I've been kind of running yeah. that um, so far. Cool. And um, obviously, this year has been very very disrupted. Yeah. Um, but the the uh, the main you know the main thing I'm trying to do is get them all up to a certain standard. Where my my goal for all the kind of new trainers, all the most experienced trainers, well, basically just give themselves, give them sufficient tools to be confident and make educated choices when it goes um, into the long-term programming for their clients. Mm. To basically just understand one, you know, all, all all the necessary variables and things like that of training but also to be able to be objective and to be able to stand back and actually look at the client and be able to ascertain, you know, what their needs are. Yeah. I'd say that's where a lot of people, a lot of people can fall flat sometimes because yes, especially in 12 week plans, we're always chasing body composition, but then past a certain point, if someone's been with you for six months, hmm in order to serve them best that you might, it might not just be a conversation of like, we need to get leaner, need to get leaner, need to get leaner. That's when you may have to look at certain, you know, um, improving certain movement patterns, some kind of rehab work, putting more muscle on them, giving them more food, things like that. It's not just a case of calorie deficit and volume every day of the year. Yeah. What about, um, I mean, obviously at the moment we are, we're in very, very, very strange times for the health and fitness industry um, in particular, well, for all of us. Um, but, 
you know, you've got a feel for these young PTs or any PTs really that have come into the business relatively new. Um, and they've probably lost all their work or quite a lot of it. And they're trying to transition into finding ways, you know, some of them are probably, you know, having to go and work in coffee shops or um, delivering. I know a lot of people that did delivering over Christmas and stuff. Um, but where, what's, what's the way forward? Because this isn't look, looking like it's going to end anytime sooner. It looks like we're going to be in this lockdown tier five until kind of March and that I've heard. Um, but even if we come out of it, it's going to be a slow progression. I mean, what's, what's the future? What, what do you think like young personal trainers and that can do at the moment to try and weather the storm, so to speak, Luke? Because it's a difficult one, isn't it? Look, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. and But if you look at it, some people have thrived from this. Some people have, Online. you know, got, yeah, so, so like some people yeah. or, you know, boot camps or parks or, or whatever. Some, some people have really pivoted what they do to make the most of the situation and been very, very successful in mm. it. Um, honestly, I can't think of anyone name in particular but you know i mean some someone some somewhere have, uh, some, some people have changed their model yeah and have been very successful at it and actually thrived off lockdown but that's the whole thing isn't it it's all about adaption and surviving adaption and surviving yeah exactly i, th I think what it has proved is i think that having just your one way of doing things and stubbornly sticking to it despite all the warning signs of lockdowns and whatever is a dangerous game it is putting all your eggs in one basket mm. i think that's that's potentially where you know for a lot of pts new pts getting into it i think part of the lessons lesson is that you want to have multiple revenue streams you know you, it's it's dangerous unless you have the benefit of furlough um it's dangerous to have all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Um, because the situation changes and all of a sudden you've got nothing. Mm. Whereas for a lot of younger trainers, look, if you do some online, you do some in-gym work, you do you sell some ebooks or whatever. Um, there's but you know, there's potentially even if one side of that dries up, hopefully there's mm. still a bit coming in from um from the other streams. Yeah. So, and also you've got to be adaptable. I think that's where a lot of, that's where a lot of the, you know, the bodybuilding types and the powerlifting types, a lot of the specialists struggled. Yeah. Because, you know, anything under than anything other than a fully equipped gym's bullshit. Yeah. But we, you know, we don't have fully equipped gyms right now. I mean, so, uh, look, I, I yeah. fucking hate resistance bands, but. Do you? Knees. Yeah, I hate resistance bands. They're just oh, I love them. Very, I love them. I love a resistance band. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and another one. What else? What you use that for in the <laughs> rehab, mate? I, I I don't like how they feel. I don't like how you have to modify exercises. I, I just don't like them. Don't like them. But how many other bits of equipment can you use in a living room oh, without sounds... smashing the place? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've, I've got kettlebells and things like that. I can't swing my kettlebell indoors because I'm no. going to kill my cat. <laughs> like, yeah. my, my, the amount of times my cat's tried to throw herself in the way of a kettlebell swing. 
Yeah, not good. So it's not it's not viable. So as much as I don't like them, they are a tool that is necessary for me to adapt to using. But do you like the band like from its from its false perspective? From its I, I don't like the way that it deloads in length and positions of movements. So There's so such a discrepancy between like the you know the strength curve in the shortened position and then you get nothing at the other end. I like yeah. I don't like how it feels, but look, arguably there's some benefits to training with a completely different resistance profile like that. Yeah, I get what, So for people that don't understand this, well, basically if you're elongate, if you've got a band in an elongated position, then you've, depending on where it is, but when you're in full um, uh, eccentric position, there's no load on the band. It's, it's, there's nothing. And then you get the, the full concentric contraction gives you the full loading of the band so basically the principle is is it as you pull the band it starts getting heavier and heavier and heavier so that when you're in your contracted position when you're at your strongest position the resistance is the heaviest the problem is with that as you said you're not getting the kind of weight that you need in the full lengthened position. And there's a big argument about saying you should be as strong in the lengthened or you should be strong in the lengthened and in between as well as at the end, if that makes sense to people. I don't know. Um, but I like the bands from the rehab perspective because it does deload really nicely and it brings people on. I like it as a, a secondary kind of exercise. I like it. I like them in stretching and distraction of things like um, shoulders and hips and stuff. But um, you 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 love your weights, don't you, Luke? Um, look, I'm I I love physical practice, and yeah. to be honest, and like I, I find myself as the years go past, I get less and less enthusiastic about dumbbells. Sorry, barbells. Yeah. As the year goes, years go on. Um, yeah. Even even things like dumbbells, you know, I can I can live without dumbbells. Yeah. Um, I enjoy them, but you know, I love like last the first lockdown made me kind of rediscover how much I love things like like kettlebell training, kettlebell complexes. Um, yeah. It's kind of like finding my way around heavy club bells. Mm. Um, I lo I love PRX. I like suspension training. I love suspension training. Um, yep. yep. And I actually really enjoyed having to kind of adapt and use body weight and things like that rather than just being stuck under machines and benches and, and all of that stuff. I, you know, I, I found it. I, I, I really enjoyed it, especially because like my original kind of forays into training, you know, I never really set foot in a gym until I was 30. It was all kicking people in the face. It was like kickboxing, Muay Thai, some yeah. MMA, things like that. Um, yeah. Where if you know, if you did any kind of um, strength work, it was mostly body weight, circuit stuff some yeah. med balls bands things like that if you know it was throwing some heavy stuff around and which look, I, I i enjoy that i enjoy that whole kind of like you know okay simple simplified caveman training kind of stuff is it's very much very much me rather than um getting too deep into bodybuilding and things like that 
Have you been in, have you done the, I mean, I did when I first started out, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, all the guys, I knew them off by heart and backwards. And um, Dorian Yates was the, was the man at the time when I was doing bodybuilding training. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I did that for like probably 10 years, just like standard bodybuilding, but we didn't know any different. I mean, back when I was training, there was no such thing as a personal trainer. They didn't exist. Um, so you only had your, you know the guys in the gym who were doing bodybuilding that's how you knew how to lift weights there was only one other person actually that ever showed me about olympic lifting and he was our rugby coach um back in the 80s so i learned a little bit of olympic lifting back then but i preferred the bodybuilding style stuff because i suppose when you're younger you're all about looking better and feeling your muscles get pumped up and you're more about that visual side than you are well, about lifting's a deep deep dark rabbit hole of yeah. micromanagement and um, it's not for everyone. No, no. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. But over the years, the bodybuilding, like, like now I think it distorts people a little bit too much. I don't want to get, I, I don't want to say anything wrong against the bodybuilders because they, what, what they do, I think is amazing in some circumstances. Um, but I think it distorts a lot of young men's and women's bodies. And once you get that kind of distortion, it's really hard to get your body back into a kind of natural equilibrium. So like a lot of people will pump up their chest and the front of their shoulders. I mean, I did it. I've got a huge bloody chest and my back suffered because of it, because I didn't build it up in the same way. Um, but that was back then. People are a little bit more intelligent now. But I tell you, if you go down to a local gym, you go down in the local, you know, uh, typical gym down the road. I don't want to say any names. But people were doing the same thing that we were doing in the 80s. And they're training like they're still Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, trying to, they're even buying his kind of books and trying to do his, his um, you know, his routines and things. And you think, like, you're literally on a different planet and then they're still back on that old one. It's, like, really weird. You ever tried to do any of Arnie's routines? Uh, about, two, about two hours long. Yeah, work out. Ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, it works. It works. But I think for most people, the fact that you're not, you haven't, haven't got, you know, whatever he was taking at the time, coursing through your veins yeah. throughout, makes hard two hour workouts um, pretty it's improbable impossible. for most people. Yeah. And, and, and the recovery as well. I mean, the recovery that you need from that kind of thing. Again, if you're not on. If you're not taking some kind of performance enhancement, you're never going to be able to recover in time to train again, or you're just going to burn out and crash. Um, you know that that's another that's another point actually. It's about um, the um, steroids use in the gyms. Um, like I've been around this all my life, so I know how much of it goes on. And it's like every other person in a local gym is is doing this stuff and it's like well maybe not even 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 the guys who look shit and you'd never believe that they were on anything even they're taking something it's crazy like how how um prolific it is now a lot of i've heard from a lot of people who i never would have guessed they were gear you know they started taking gear before they even had put like a year into training i, I yeah yeah i i mean uh, it's not for me to tell anybody what to do i uh, I like the actual performance of a human body against yourself and being able to do that without, but there's so many, uh, you can see why people want to 
get into it. Um, I've known a few guys in the past that were training for like 10 and 15 years, pretty hard. And they were real natural bodybuilders. And then eventually they succumb to doing stuff. And like, then your body can synthesize and really use this stuff. If you're at that athlete sort of standard, but for well, then there's, people, a, there's a, then there's a point to it as well, isn't it? Everybody has, every body has a certain genetic limit that it yeah. can get to. You know, if you've been training 10, 15 to 10 to 15 years and you have taken and, you know, you want to be a professional bodybuilder and you've taken your body as far as it can go. Yeah. Then there's no other way of doing it. No. And the thing is, if you don't do it, it's everyone it. else, everyone else is. So yeah. it's pretty pointless even trying unless you're going to go for it. And look, I've got I've got no problems with that because modern bodybuilding wouldn't exist without it. No. And also, they take, you know, you then apply it to sports. The moment they started drug testing in the UFC, um, I started losing interest, to be honest, because it, it, it is not as good as it used to be. Because all these absolutely jacked monsters who were murdering people all of a sudden became like diminished shadows of their former selves within 12 months. And I've got to admit, it's not as exciting anymore because people kind of look a lot more human than they used to do. <laughs> And yeah, I, I, I do kind of sometimes look back on the days of like, you know, the UFC in particular pride when um, there was monumental drug use and yeah. think like that, that was actually a way better sport back then. And I kind of wish I could see that now. So within the context of that, like, look, do, yeah. do what you want because if everyone's taking it, then it levels the playing field. Yeah, because like you're right, because people want to see that. People want to see athletes run super, super fast. They don't care if they're taking drugs. But if someone gets caught, if someone gets caught taking it, then they're like, oh, that's out of order. They, should, they shouldn't have been doing it. But actually, the, the public, they're, they're wanting to see. I mean, look at the WWE and things like that. I mean, they want that. It's all part of the act, and it's all part of the system. You know, we crave it. But if someone gets well, caught, it's a sport. A sport is spectacle at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. And look, you, you, if no one ever ran faster in the Olympics or jumped higher, yeah, in the next next hundred years than they are now, then why the fuck are we watching it? And we should just let everybody take whatever they want, and it would be crazy. I wonder well, if look, a lot, like the whole hanging Lance Armstrong out to dry. Yeah. When uh, like every he still beat every other athlete in those races who were also on the same amount of drugs. Do you remember when Ben Johnson he won? I think it was the yeah Carl Lewis. Carl <laughs> Lewis was right. just was juiced up. Yeah, but we uh, there was this program. I can't remember what it was, but there was a scientific program, and they kept all the samples of every single um, athlete in that 100-meter final, okay? 20 years later, they test all of those samples. They retest them again, right? And they're picking up things which they couldn't pick up back in the day from every single person that was in that yep. final. So they were all – so it was all an exercise in PR or something, you know. But um, I, th I think it was something to do with, like, Olympic Committee politics. Yeah, I think, um, I think, uh, yeah, there you are. Cool, you dropped yeah. out from there. Um, I think that they were trying to make an example of someone, and I think for whatever reason, some kind of like political issue, they picked him. Yeah. But look, it's in terms of people using it recreationally. If 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 your work depends on it, you know, if your career depends on it, then yeah. 
is it has its place for your average gym girl who's just trying to like cut some corners in the gym it's the the potential health hazards of that especially people who don't know how to take it like the guys the guys who know how to take it it's it's a convoluted issue because half the things you're taking are just to offset the side effects of something else it's not just a case of getting some tests and getting some growth hormone and jabbing it no it gets a ripple effect doesn't it you start having to take this to take that to take this to take that and then before long you're so far involved in not just your training but in the supplementation of your training that that become your training becomes secondary to everything else you're thinking about i mean i know guys who've got or had in the past i don't so much now and they've got a training diary and then they've got their what they're taking diary and it's like more in that than it is about the training because the training is pretty simple really you know relatively you know well, those are the ones who are probably doing it properly then yeah they were you know, they always properly. say that dorian, yeah. dorian yates had one workout that he did for 20 years yeah his blood and guts <laughs> workout yeah yeah like i can remember again back in the day trying to copy or emulate what dorian yates i mean i I would go and follow him to different bodybuilding competitions in the uk and meet him and shake his hand and stuff like that i i I think it was nabber at the time something like Mm. that and uh, i was just in awe of what what this bloke was what he could do and um you know because it had always been about the Americans, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all that. Really, for us, our generation, it was all about the Americans until he came along and just blasted the scene. It just knocked well, he was it the first, the first of the mass monsters, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it wasn't a lot of his stuff by uh, Mike Mensa, Mike Mensa's stuff. I'll say that you cut out there, sorry, mate. I said a lot of his training was based on Mike Mensa's. Yeah, his was... Um... So Mike Mensa, did, uh, he did the original high-intensity training, didn't he? Yeah. Always get the That's... lineage wrong here. And then Dorian Yates's version, that was heavy-duty, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I Dorian think so. heavy-duty training? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I tried... One to, one to two sets done to failure. Yeah. Man, I tried to do that for a couple of years. And I used to train with a guy who used to be on, on, on steroids. He was taking steroids. And we were both the same size, both the same strength, everything, right? And I, there, there's just no way I could compete with him anymore. It was impossible. He left yeah, me, let, left me for dead. Absolutely left me for dead. And he just kept on and kept on and kept on. And you know, nice guy. But um, again, when we go back to the, uh, you couldn't repair. I could lift the weight, but I don't know why I could do it again two days later. It's like, forget it, forget it. <laughs> and I'm. How many people can train that hard? How many people can train so hard that one to two sets per exercise done to be on failure is sufficient volume for them? Most people can't push, push themselves to that level of intensity. So for most people, it ends up just being a shit low volume program that doesn't do much. But actually, a lot of people train too hard anyway, Luke, don't they? I mean, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. No. Yeah, so, I, so what? Yeah, go on. I think some people train too often. Okay. And under recover from other stresses in their life. So, let's mm. say you're working 12 hours a day, you're sleeping four hours a night, there's all this other shit going on, and then you've got some ridiculously high volume training yeah. plan in there as well. 
then arguably overall stress on your life could be excessive and you're under recovering between your training between training sessions just because of other shit going on lack of sleep things like that mm. i that's a big really i can't i can't think of in in the last few years i can't think of anyone that i've seen that i would say is training too hard with the exception of the the hit class girls some of the girls who are going to like two hit classes a day doing like barry's boot camp you know like twice a day and spin classes and extra burpees on top of that all the while eating like 900 calories a day um I think there's an argument for that, but within like the gym context, I, I, I can't think of any, I honestly can't think of anyone that I've seen within a gym who I'm like, Oh man, that guy's training too hard. Well, uh, just jump, jumping on what you said about the boot camp. So from my perspective as uh, from the rehabilitation side, I just wanted to get, put a quick thing in there that the, the majority of people I see that cause themselves injuries following training programs are either one of the three following things, right? One, boot camps. I used to get a lot of clients coming from boot camps, injuries, okay? Two would be CrossFit. And I'm not going to go on about CrossFit because I happen to quite like CrossFit. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the CrossFit. It's CrossFit now is not what CrossFit was in 2012. No, it's not. I like CrossFit. It's I think it's it's got a lot of good points. It's got a few bad ones as well, but it's got a lot of good points. It's just the way it's delivered. Again, the type of, and then the third one is people running uh, and just doing it themselves and just starting off running, and they've got. They don't even know how their body moves. Um, and that's, that, that's something. Oh, God, I could keep talking forever here, couldn't I, Luke? I'd get terrible. Um, that's right. No, this, is a good, this is a good topic. Keep going. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, so, from what Luke's saying, is, is uh, people don't train too hard. People don't run too hard. People don't do CrossFit too hard. Um, they can. I, I, would, I would take that back on CrossFit. Some people do do CrossFit yeah, too hard because they can no, because the competitive aspect. The competitive yeah. aspect is a different conversation. So <clears throat> what, what we see in all of those three modalities that I was just talking about is I usually find that people, it's, it's technique-wise, mostly becomes the, the factor as well as the ego in the competition because you push yourself, like you said, in a competition, and that that's usually a fudge factor. That's where you can get hurt. So you train really hard and then you keep doing competitions and, and you get injured. Um, but people uh, don't know how their own bodies move unless you have someone look at you and say, well, do you realize you're doing this when you run? Or do you realize when you're deadlifting, you're doing this? Or, you know, and this is where the expertise of a good personal trainer or a CrossFit coach or a running coach or whatever it is you want to do, you should really get someone just to have a look at you because you can put all the will in the world you want into running and doing CrossFit and lifting weights. But if you've got a discrepancy in the way you do things, the way your body moves, for instance, the chances are you're going to get injured somewhere down the line. Um, people that, uh, you know, have too much of a pelvic tilt, people whose feet turn in too much or their knees or little things like that. Um, however, it's not always the case. But we are ne- we're not taught 
at a younger age how to look at these things in ourselves, are we, Luke? We we go, and the first thing we do is we go and do PE at school. That's just about taking part, isn't it? We're not taught how to look at ourselves. Not really. Well, I don't, I don't think, I think especially now, because there's so little physical practice in people's lives now. Like, do they, do they even still have PE in school? I honestly don't know, because I know there's, there's so many issues about, obviously people shouldn't be forced to do something that they're bad at because it'll make them ashamed. And there, there's all these kind of political factors which now influence things like PE now. So I, I honestly don't know what the, the state of PE is now but there's so little physical practice in people's lives that i think the main thing that people lack is any kind of awareness of their body yeah any kind of body awareness they have no idea what their physical self is doing no which is which is how i think how a lot of people find themselves let's say with the the levels of body fat that people have when they come to say like our gym for a body transformation a lot of people don't see it coming and a lot of people that they don't spot what's happening to their no. body mm. until it's 10 years too late yeah you see like they're so detached from what their physical self is doing that they only kind of notice where they actually are once they've got there mm. they don't see the warning signs along the way i think that that counts for body composition and it also counts for as you're talking about um you know poor movement patterns mm. um bad technique things like that mm. like people just not aware that it's happening they're not really aware that there's a difference between no doing something with a good movement pattern and doing something with a bad movement pattern yeah yeah i mean quite often people will start off they'll start on the road to their new fitness regime you know they start running and then six weeks eight weeks 10 weeks 12 weeks down the line that's when you know the achilles tendon injuries come in that's when the shin splints are starting to get really bad that's when the knee the hip problems the back problems and it's the same with the lifting i mean oh god the amount of times i've seen people with bad shoulders because they're you know trying to do snatches and overhead presses and they're doing too many each week actually do you think that saying less is more is a is a good thing in some cases i, I think the thing the, i say the you listed like three three kind of training modalities that you see the most injuries from mm, i think so or the most dysfunction from i'd i'd say what those three modalities all have in common oh there's one more is that, there's All one right. more. It's a biggie. Yeah. yeah. It's people that do nothing and have never done uh, anything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So all, <laughs> I, 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 can, I can twist this to what I was going to say anyway. <laughs> I think what all of those have in common, that it's generally, it's generally a low intensity of work done too often with bad technique. As opposed to, let's say, powerlifting injuries and strongman injuries yeah is that look if you get it wrong once yeah, you're fucked. yeah. like you're you're you know you've got a 200k atlas stone on your chest oh god one millimeter off and it's game over oh, i love the strong whereas what each of what each of those modalities that you've mentioned um have in common is that you can get away with doing stuff badly yeah because you know that's that's why that's that's why I'd say people don't overtrain in general. Because none of those people who get injured running 
are doing fucking ultra marathons. No. None of them are running like 200 kilometers across like the Rockies or something. They're, they're probably doing a bunch of 5Ks. Yeah. And the fact that they're probably doing it slowly and badly means they can do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. So it's it's repeated bad technique done to a low intensity is how I would phrase it. Do you same, with like, same with like CrossFit. Anyone who's good at CrossFit, yeah. who's like snatching 120 kilos or whatever. God, them guys isn't, are crazy. Isn't, isn't doing that every day. Who was the guy? You can't physically do that every day. It's the people who are, it's the people who are deadlifting 40k badly yeah because lightweight allows you to move it badly yeah with true, no immediate true. consequence as opposed to 200k like if you can lift it you do it badly again you break you break on the spot so i'd say it's the low loads that allow you to go back the next day and do it equally as shitly that cause the problems because there's no immediate consequence as there is when someone is training at high intensity and they Look, get flattened if they get it wrong. Have you have you seen a lot of people with um you know injuries and problems like shoulder problems, back problems, knee problems, and they, they come in to see you and you know they're not that bad that they can't train. Uh, and they make you aware, you know, I've had this problem and I've had that problem. And you, you know, like you do, you say, Okay, well, it's all right, we can work around that. Let me know if it's you know too much of a load. And have you found a lot of people um uh, improve or their problem just like goes away, just through actually strengthening their body and following a better diet? Yeah, I was, look, most of what we, I say in untrained people, so in untrained people, and this actually goes back to what you said about that fourth thing is people do nothing. Yeah. yeah the same argument, people do too much of nothing because there's no consequence to it. Yeah. Immediately, you don't yeah. get flattened by sitting on this couch for a night. <laughs> um, I think untrained people, most of the issues that I'll generally see, whether it be knees, shoulders, backs, necks, things like that, generally seem to come from a lack of strength and a lack of awareness. Yeah. So people are like, oh, my knees hurt when I lunge. So they think they've got a knee problem. Yeah. It's just they're too fucking weak to lunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not able to do. I know look, there's a lot going on in a lunge. It's a lot of requirements to mm -hmm. a good lunge. And it's probably one of the things that I see in a gym the most that's yeah. done really badly yeah because people jump like a lunge is taken so if you go to a hit class it's just accepted that you can lunge um whereas you know there's there's increments to everything and i always kind of feel that regressions the people should always start on the lowest regression and you have to earn your way up to yeah. being able to do deadlifts snatches barbell squats yeah, like dumbbell lunges, things like that. You need to be able to clear level one before you can do level five. Um, yeah, and so and so usually when you just take take people back to a regression, you make them stronger within that regression and aware of what's happening. Then six weeks down the line, you try a lunge, and lo and behold, there's no knee pain because their body's actually strong enough to one stabilize the joint within the movement and. Um, manage the force that's going through their body and they actually understand kind of what it is they're meant to be doing and if you try it and it still looks like shit then you just go back to the regression before that work on that a little longer i mean i'd say one of the best times in my life when i was at my what i would say all round peak was when i was doing martial arts because when i first worked walked into um 
like I, when I was doing, Aikido, I'd done karate and judo. So I've done lots of different things. And then I took up um, Aikido pretty seriously. And um, was it after watching uh, Above the Law by any chance? No, no. Was it Seagal? No, it was nothing to do with that, actually. It was really weird. It was uh, it, it was nothing to do with that. I, I didn't even know Steven Seagal was a practitioner of it. There was a local boxing gym, and I used to go do a bit of the boxing. And um, it was a five-star near where I live in Romford. And um, they were doing this, like, I'd always loved martial arts. I'd always liked karate. I'd, I'd done a lot of karate, uh, Kyokushinkai, and judo, and a bit of jiu-jitsu, old-style jiu-jitsu, not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Japanese, yeah. Yeah, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And, um, in fact, my good friend who was my sensei, he's like he's like sixth down there. He's like top in the UK. But um, where was I? Yeah, so um, I used to go into this gym, and uh, I'd watch these guys – in like Japanese trousers with swords and rolling around on the mat. And I, 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 and I'd think to myself, well, that's different. That's like really like unusual. And then um, one night, the guys that were doing the Aikido, they used to come and they used to have the boxing ring. And what they used to do is they used to get into their shorts, right? Just a pair of shorts, so no gi or anything. And they used to fight in the boxing ring. Uh, just used to wear a handguard, but not a uh, pads. So this was before anything like uh, UFC or Pride or any anything like that. There was nothing like that at the time. And um, I think what was happening was K1 was coming out. Do you remember the karate? The yeah, that's, full that's, contact? That's, that's how I got. That was my first experience of watching martial arts. I, I started right. martial arts from watching right. K1 probably in 2002, three, something like that. Right. So what, what they used to do sometimes was have um, little fights between each other against boxers. Nothing too crazy, but every now and again, someone would go a bit silly. And and then uh, from that, you start to transition into, right, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to see what it's like. And like, freaking hell, the, the first time I got on the mat, this guy just... He twisted me around in so many positions. I just felt like an absolute idiot. My body couldn't move. I'd done years of rugby and playing American football. I could not move. And he would just bend my arm and I was just gone, like crying like a baby, you know. And then from that point on, I said, I I've got to loosen my body up and uh, get stronger to be able to take this stuff. And then it just became a, a thing that I went and done. And without thinking about mobility, stability, strength, conditioning, all that, I just did it. You know, like now you've got all these guys like Edu Portal and all these different move, move net, all these different movement practitioners. And all they're doing, as you know, because you do BJJ, didn't you? Yeah. All they're doing is putting together movements that we you do on the mat anyway and that people have done for years and years and years. They're just selling it as a more of a commercial system. Good on them. I mean, it gets out to other people. That's fine. I like all that stuff, by the way. Um but that's what everybody did. Everybody just just kind of learned it like that. But you you went and um, I don't know where I was going with that, Luke, because this is what happens. I start bloody talking, <laughs> and I don't I don't know what my point is. Um, no, my point was that um, just turning up and doing it week in week out changed my body without thinking about diet, body composition, anything like that. And it's something I took on when. Uh, when I when I went to work with athletes and stuff on the rehab side, that form follows function. It doesn't matter what you look like in the mirror when you start. Don't fit, like 
I try to say that people forget about that, right? If you can do um, tension ups, uh, lift uh, your body weight off the floor 10 times or do a bench press 10 times or do 30 push-ups, you're going to have to look different to be able to do that. Your body composition has got to be better. You can't be... Yeah, that, that's the point I was going to make. That's the thing, to perform. Yeah. The, th the thing is what most people say who are getting into training the issue they face say if you're like well look if you can do uh 10 chin-ups 20 dips 30 press-ups for example yeah and you'll look great which i totally totally believe as well i think like the biggest if i could if i could keep any form of training it'd be chin-ups and dips oh yeah Christ pretty much some squat? kind of single leg some kind of single leg squat single leg squat um, yeah but most people's problem, say what stands between them and being able to to fulfill those standards, is yeah. that they're too fat. <laughs> Basically, yeah. no, but, but look, yeah, if, I if, agree. If, if stuff, if, if performance is based around your relative strength to body weight ratio, which yeah. chips, dips, press ups fundamentally are, then for a lot of people, they're simply too heavy, mm. and so that so then if, i think that's the issue if people are like right i'm not going to think about body composition or nutrition or anything like that i'm just going to focus on performance yeah if you're 140 kilos like of you know poor body composition being able to do one press up is a long way off let alone a chin, let alone a chin up so it's like yeah. a chicken and egg, it's like chicken and egg situation almost isn't it yeah what they have to have in place before they can even think about you know, body weight performance standards yeah. is they need to be less fat and need to carry less weight in order for a chin up to even become conversation. So their point of focus needs to be different. What I love, do you ever read um, Dan John? I've probably got all of Dan John's books. Yeah, I watch yeah. his podcast, everything. Yeah, he's, he's I a think, legend. I think legend. It's, from, it's, been, it's been years since I've read this, but um, one of my favorite assessment tools, I think, was from Intervention. Yeah. Um, and I think it was kind of like a, a quadrant kind of thing. Yeah, he does. So it was, basically, it was basically like how to assess what you need to work on. Yeah. So, and it, if it was like, it went along the lines of something like, um, if you're more than whatever level of body composition or BMI. Let's say you're 40% BMI or anyone who's over 25% BMI, then your focus needs to be on body composition. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If, if your strength is under, let's say the performance um, markers you gave of let's say X amount of chin-ups, X amount of press-ups, then your issue is you're not strong enough and you need to work on strength. Yeah. If you can't reach down and touch your toes, yeah, then what you need to be working on is priority mobility. And so it was, it was kind of like a, it was an assessment tool of of what your priority in training should be. He, he I, did... I tried I tried to do a similar um, talk for the trainers in one of the like, education seminars I was doing was was kind of like a. A table to uh, a list to assess what the needs of the client were between moving on to the next phase rather than just doing something right. like that yeah he, yeah. he, he did that diagrams 
Yeah, he did that. And then what you would have was like one would be body composition, two would be strength, three would be mobility, and all the others are the ones in between. So you can find yeah. out. He did. I, I don't know if that's exactly right. So if somebody's looking and then I haven't got it like 100%. Okay. Yes, yes, the point across. Yeah. So yeah, so it is a good tool, Luke. Yeah, it's a good tool. Um, to but yes, yeah, if, if someone's got a reasonable body composition, that that's the, the other thing you get is you know you get skinny skinny guys who've maybe got a little bit of a belly on them, but are overall skinny guys. Skinny fat. Don't need to necessarily be worrying about dieting. No. They generally just need to get fucking stronger. Yeah. Because that level of body fat that they have, if you add ten k muscle on top of that, all of a sudden doesn't it becomes a relatively reasonable level of body composition because mm. now it's outweighed by lean mass as well. But what you find with most of those guys is they also struggle with press ups and chin ups. Yeah, massively. So the last yeah. thing they need to be do is do is dieting and starve in their body of resources that could potentially build muscle anymore. What's your kind of view on um, on diet? Let's, let's 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 have a little chat about diet. Um, I've got some ideas, um, but I, I probably go along pretty much similar to you. Um, I do think. Me personally, I do think it very much depends on the individual and where they are and how their body is responding at the moment. But I'm doing it from a rehab perspective. But as far as uh, training, uh, losing fat and uh, uh, giving your body the best nutrition it can to build muscle and look different in 12 weeks, what, what's your kind of your personal, not your necessarily what you're doing as a um you know in the profession maybe it is the same i don't know but what's your what's your personal belief obviously it all depends what the starting point of someone is what the goal they're trying to reach is and things like that but if we're talking about just what, nutrition, what, nutritional concepts that would support healthy living and training yeah no kind of what we're looking at no i'm th i'm thinking more on the along the lines of someone who's a little bit overweight say a stone or two and they want to shed the fat but they want to look uh, fuller. They want to be even more muscle. Um, so it might be that over the course of like 12 weeks or something like that, that they don't lose a massive amount of weight because they're going to put on a bit of muscular weight, if it's possible to put on a lot of muscular weight in that time. Um, but yeah, it, it's difficult. I know. But basically, yeah, you know, the, the average person, I think, or like the average guy, actually, a lot of the average guys, they want to come and actually get bigger don't they so it's a difficult one um let's take it yeah but look, most most untrained people will put on muscle fat. in a yeah. calorie in, in a calorie deficit because yeah. just they haven't done any training before so there's such a ceiling of adaptation to hit before you need to be worried about uh bulking um let's well, let's look, say I, I let's, think, let's I think, say I think the best way to look at it let's, what i say if you, like, is, i was going to say if you take your if you take your average say say a girl um lady yeah. uh you know she works five days a week or she's a stay-at-home mum she's put on a couple of stone and she wants to get the booty she wants to trim up she wants to look good uh you know on the beach in in the summer um you know what what's going to be I know you can't be specific for everybody because we will be here for an eternity describing everybody's All individual. Right. So, so, so roughly, let's, let's put it let's put it this way. So, what when you look at your average person who walks into it and gets a personal trainer and wants yeah. to improve their nutrition, improve their body composition, stuff like that? I'd yeah. say the way of answering this is: what do they? What are they generally doing wrong in the first place? 
I'd answer it that way. And then by that, that then should solve our problem. I'd say the main, one of the main issues with everyone, I'd say that they are undernourished through a lack of nutrient dense whole foods. So not even talking about calories. They're just Generally, eating crap. Yeah, they're, they're eating crap. Um, yeah. So generally, when you look at people's food diaries, there's very little food on it. That's usually my main issue. There's generally very little food on people's um, what do you mean food, food diaries, like yeah, real yeah. foods. Oh, okay. So there's a bunch. There's a bunch of snacks. Yeah. There's okay. a bunch of shit. Yeah. But generally, it's not like they're having five enormous meals a day. Mm. There's generally there's maybe like one decent meal a day. Mm. Lunch is a fucking Tesco meal deal of the sandwich, a pack of crisps. Yeah, breakfast People... doesn't happen. And look, if, if I've got, I've got, I don't think there's any magic in fucking breakfast. Um, but they'll generally be if you look at their food diary yeah. and the actual meals they're eating. You're like, fuck, how are you, how are you like five, you know, twenty kilos overweight when you don't eat anything? But then you add booze onto it and then you add biscuits onto it and then you add the things that they haven't written in because they literally just reach and put it in their mouth and it's such an insignificant thing that they don't even think about it yeah and that's when generally the caloric excess will come in is from processed snack foods and booze like no one's no one's eating giant meals and and um putting themselves in a caloric excess through that way so it probably seems so, to... so basically you, you see a lack of real nutrition. So it probably seems... obviously going to throw out micronutrients and things like that. You'll generally see uh, a lack of protein intake. Um, and that's, that's mostly it. I'd say it's a lack of lack of real food more than anything. Cause once people fix that and they start actually, the first thing that happens when generally people are put on diets in my you know, diets in my place of work. Yeah is they say it's too much food and they can't eat it. That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Because even though like calorically, it's obviously far less than they've been on because they, you know, most people get significantly leaner very quickly off it. But the, the first objection you always get is like, I can't possibly eat this amount of food. Because Do they with... don't eat real food and their bodies lack the ability to process real food and digest it. Do, do you still go with a lot of supplements or or none? Do you recommend them? Uh, look, I, I, th I think they have their place. I think, do look, I think, I think within the context of a 12 week training plan that involves hard training, therefore like mineral depletion from that, um, combined with a caloric deficit, when if you're in a, deficit of calories yeah see there's more likely to be a, a deficit of vitamin mineral micronutrient intake yeah i think supplementation definitely has its place within that context hmm. how how much does um hormonal levels affect um you know your job <laughs> do you do you take that into consideration for like the the 40 year old that's coming in or the, you know, the 18 year old, like these hormone levels, are they not really one of the rulers of but how, know, weight, but weight how, gain, how weight often, loss? How often do you see 
hormonal imbalances that aren't affected by good quality nutrition and training. Yeah. Mm. I'd, I'd say in itself, just mm. training and eating better and maybe sleeping better in some people's case, some stress management um, goes a long way towards rectifying hormonal yeah. imbalances. I very, very rarely see anything that any kind of hormonal imbalance that negates the effect of a caloric deficit and energy expenditure. Yeah. They are out there hundred percent. It does yeah, exist yeah. and I have yeah. seen it, but more often than not, you know, those people are unicorns. It's, you know, I, I would never, if someone's not losing weight, the first thing, or, or not, someone's not improving their body composition. The first thing that I, that, you know, the first thing that doesn't jump to mind is, oh, it must be their hormones, which is probably a mistake a lot of people make because yeah. there's definitely a passion in personal training to be very like hormone focused. Yeah. Um, it's generally that, okay, they're not sticking to the caloric deficit. If there's someone who I know, I'm 100% confident that they're telling the truth and they are maintaining the caloric deficit they've been set and they are not getting leaner and you're not seeing any effects from it, then then that's a conversation of, okay, maybe you should look at thyroid testing. Maybe you should have your metabolic rate tested, things like that. Um, but it's a very rare situation. And I, like I said, yes, people will come in with low hormones in the first place, but generally good food and training goes a long way towards rectifying that. I, th I think that's a really good point. And I think a lot of people are suffering from things um they just don't need to be suffering from if you if you gave yourself 12 weeks with a decent personal trainer to um do your diet do your exercise pretty much a lifestyle change as well isn't it luke you, possibly you might find that a lot of these problems yeah just slowly melt away 100 like lack of lack of nutrition lack of Sleep like micronutrients, lack of sleep, excessive stress, yeah, and lack of movement goes a long way towards fucking people up. Do you do you know I was uh, where's my book? Oh, is it? There is so much evidence that suggests that every like let's go let's go into injuries and pain as well as being overweight and your feelings how your feelings affect your body like there is so many things that can affect us um so for instance coming into a gym and being susceptible to i don't know different colors different lights can make you change the way your body is or you're actually using that in a training session or in a rehab session uh, colors um sounds um mm -hmm the stress that you've had in the day or you haven't had in the day. So this is one of the things where the science of training and rehab kind of goes all wishy-washy because you can never, ever, ever have the perfect scenario for testing people. We've got best practices, but it's just impossible. And most of the people that they do test anyway usually have no problems, um, but you can't have somebody with every single problem. I mean, I know like um, you may trace train somebody who's got Parkinson's, for instance, or yeah, so the outcomes are going to be and, and that person may be affected by different things in their life at different levels and different times. So the parameters are so individual 
I mean, we're all similar, all right? We're all similar. We know that if we exercise, for instance, we should do better unless we've got underlying health problems. But the parameters of getting somebody to that, just, just on one exercise, like you said about regressions, you may have one person that's doing full-on deadlifts with, you know, working up to double their body weight. Another person might be lifting a bag off the floor. It's so vast. Yeah, but, you know, the, the relative... I, th I think it just has to be that the relative progression for each person's similar. For some people lifting that bag and it turning into a heavier bag or whatever, some people, someone lifting a 20 kilo deadlift, yeah. if it's still progressed in the same way, you know, if their set point was so far down that them deadlifting that 20 kilo bar is a sizable um, piece of progress, then it's just as significant as someone pulling 200 what's the most you've ever deadlifted a rack pulled i know this isn't that's kind of like negates the conversation but i got to a point where i didn't actually pull off the floor that much a rack pulled 300 once what 300 kilos yeah that's good luke um and that was mid shin what? just above just above mid shin that's good. 300 kilos from mid squatted, squatted 200 Astagrass. Yeah. Um, I think probably, probably off the floor, I don't know, 250, 260, something like that. That's but really I, good. I, I'd like that bit off the floor was my sticking point. You know, some people, their sticking points at the top. Yeah. They can't lock out. I never had any problem with lockout. It was just that first pull off the floor, actually yeah. the bar breaking off the floor. That was my sticking point. So just a little bit of elevation um, in a rack dramatically uh, increased the amount I pulled. There's a, um, there's a, I'm not, not recommending that yeah. anyone ever do that, to be honest. But, but there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of um, science behind lifting really heavy from limited um, positions. What do they call it? Uh, partials. Partial, yeah, yeah, yeah. Partials lifting where you can go super, super heavy, but you're only moving inches. I watched Eddie Hall the other day. He held overhead, right? He did a, a, a one-inch press, right? So he had his arm up above him, and and there was a, a set of squat stands. And what the was bar... it? Like, like a pin press? Yeah, like a pin press. Yeah, yeah. So he's pushing straight up. So he's underneath it. It was on some show where they're copying the strong man of old, and I think they were copying Waldo, was it? Is it Waldo? Anyway, um, the great Waldo, something like that. Anyway, so yeah, that pin press. So he goes underneath. So he's literally just got to push that barbell up so it comes off the rack and down. Mm. All right. doesn't have to be even or anything. It's just as long as he gets it moving. And he was on like, I'm sure it was 500, and, like the best part of 550 kilos. Like that is just that's just insane. And he said his entire body, his entire body. He said if he'd have gone for another lift, because uh, there was another guy trying to beat him, Robert Oberst, I think it was. Mm. He, he said if I, I would not have been able to have gone up. He said because literally I could feel my elbows cracking, my wrists disintegrating, my back going. But um, the amount of sinew joint tendon ligament strength that you need 
apart from the sheer force and muscle force, to be able to move partials is like freaking incredible. Well, look, you, you definitely have to be built a certain way in order to be able to uh, to do that. Not every not every human's going to be do it. But look, for, in terms of in terms of powerlifting, partials one hundred percent have their place. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. in terms of filling deficits within strength or filling deficits within movement patterns yeah. as well i think it definitely has its place yeah definitely. Like a, a really simplified way of putting it for me would be if someone if someone sucks within a certain portion of a lift like make the them spend more make them spend more time there yeah yeah i agree if, I if, agree. if, if the bottom if the bottom position of someone's squat sucks make them spend more time there whether it be partials whether it be isometrics like yeah. whatever but it's just spend more time in the bit than these work yeah so i isometrics is a real good one. so in the strength curve um you get around 15 to 20 degrees either side of the position you're holding you will also build strength i think i might have lost you here graham are uh, you back yeah yeah i got it so, so 15 or tw 15 to 20 degrees, either side of the position that you're holding isometrically, you will gain strength in that position. So if you're a flat at the bottom there, you've got 15 to 20 degrees either side and all the, all the way up the strength curve. So what we found with a lot of people, and I've trained a lot of people, they'll be good, like you said, in certain positions. And then we have to bring them. Uh, so like when someone's going through a squat, they'll, they'll, they will quite often just their movement just they fall through certain parts and they have to push hard at the bottom because they've got nothing in the middle and then they're good at the top and that's where we start to find i don't know if you find this the people start to break down in these sections and just this is good tips for people actually train the section where you're weak because that is your sticking point that will be your weak point just as luke just said this is a little bit more advanced than somebody going to a gym on a 12-week body transformation. But if, if you're serious about lifting, you've got to look into isometrics and you've got to look into this actual specific point in the strength curve to train. And, and a good one for that is pull-ups. Mm. Because a lot of people can't get chest to bar. They can't get that last retraction in their back through their scapula to get their chin over and be able to pull to this kind of sternum level um and you have to do a lot of training in the back there and even holding that position to build up that strength um well that, even even an even more aggressive version like most most people can't like, before they even start with pull-ups most people can't take their weight on their hands and just hang oh yeah i mean that's like, yeah, yeah spend spend some time doing that as well yeah just feet on the floor just literally hands around the bar, keep your feet on the floor, and then over time, gradually take more weight off your feet until yeah. you're until you're full straight arm hanging. But no, they've they've definitely got their places. One of the one of the things that I use consistently with people, I get I have very very few clients that wouldn't benefit from isometrics, and it, it's out of all advanced techniques you know drop sets pre-exhaust post-exhaust cluster sets things like that the yeah. first one i'll generally bring in is is isometrics really that's cool man yeah. i love well, it ge generally once someone's once someone has done a 12-week program where obviously the uh, the aim is to get someone as lean as possible yeah because that's the outcome that we're selling which is you know i, I could 
someone buys a 12-week transformation and then I start about uh, telling them about how I'm going to improve their squat and improve their lunge pattern and stuff like that, yeah. they're probably going to be, well, look, I didn't pay for that. I want to be less fat. <laughs> I want to be see, want to be muscular. See that book? Yeah, yeah. So for anyone out there who doesn't know, um, if you want to do some serious stretching, that's an isometrically stretching system, which is, I think it was written in the 80s or 70s, 1985 originally. That is as good today and probably better than a lot of stuff that's out there that I've ever seen. And it, it can really help stretch you up. I mean, it is seriously good. One of the best books I ever bought, that was. But that's isometric stretching, mm. not isometric lifting, so to speak. But they both go hand in hand. Well, yeah, look, if you hold a bottom position, you're in an isometric stretch, right? Have you seen, is it Juji Mufuji or something like that? Is yeah, yeah, Juji Mufu. Juji Mufu. Yeah, 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 something like that. He's incredible. Yeah, it's insane. Like he'll do a he'll do he's the a, splits. He's a circus strongman, basically, isn't he? Yeah, but he'll, he'll like do, he'll do the splits between two chairs and hold a couple of you know like fifty kilos in his hand and do pressing and stuff. So he calls it flexible steel or something. It's a good book. Yeah. And then set it on fire at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Oh. Well, dude, look, we've been rabbiting on for an hour and a half here. Um, oh, it's flown by. By. Uh, it does when you're talking about stuff you like I mean, there's a lot of things i could have talked about but maybe we'll do them for another time i wanted to talk about your um your hip injury and stuff but um uh we'll do, we'll do we'll do another one we'll do yeah we'll do it another time we'll see how this one goes see if people sort of log in i mean is anyone going to listen to us rabbiting on for a for an hour and a half who knows well look i, I listened to a bunch of people rabbiting on for three hours so you never know yeah, and what we, yeah, all... we, basically, we basically spoke about all the stuff that I've done right on this one. Next time, we'll just do about talk about all the stuff I've done wrong. I tell you, I think the stuff that we do wrong is more. It's weird, isn't it? Because we learn so much from what we do wrong. Like I've learned so much. Uh, that's, that's, ev that's everything that I've learned is from. Yeah, doing oh, it. Oh, this broke. Right, how do we stop that happening again? <laughs> Man, I'm going through this thing at the moment where I'm trying to do my RKC and I'm trying to get that Russian kettlebell um, system. Man, Luke, it's really, really tough. I'm, I, because I'm 55, I've got nerve damage in my neck. I've got back problems, knee But not just that. I didn't. I've done a lot of kettlebell work in the past, and I'm trying to be my coach at the moment, Terence. Terence Enlove, Enluvu. Sorry, he um, he like he's like conditioning me. Oh my god. Honestly, it's so tough. The lung capacity. You have to do the one where you have to hold front rack position for something like three minutes, and every two seconds you have to do a double jerk. I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't probably. The jerk to... ends up being your rest because it's actually just the weight of the two kettlebells bearing down on your chest for three minutes Look, that uh, destroys. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like I, I literally right when I first started, I did. Uh, so there's a five minute test, right? So you have to do a hundred swings, kettlebell swings, yeah. in five minutes, right? So I had a twenty four kilo kettlebell, right? I did. About 90 to 93, 94, two-handed swings in 
five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't get to a hundred, right? When I first started. And now I'm doing a hundred one-handed swings in about four minutes. So the level of conditioning is like unbelievable to get to that level. I, I mean, I've literally had to, I'm training the artist I've trained in 10 years easily. I spent too long training other people. That's the trouble and not worked on myself enough. Things go, but it's just that level of conditioning. Um, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I'm always tempted to do like RKC or strong first or something. I think the strong first qualification is similar. I think it's a hundred snatches in yeah. five minutes with a, I think with a 24. Yeah, well, you do have to do that in the RKC. They're both, they're mm -hmm. both, they're both, they're both Parvel, isn't it? Strong yeah. first is when Parvel left yeah. RKC. But Dan John heads up RKC mm -hmm. and, and Pavel, I think, is strong first. They're both, they're both very, very similar. They're both, both RKC was the original. Yeah, strong, yeah. strong first broke up. I don't know. I don't know all the politics, but they're both like two very, very awesome systems. They really are. Um, but if you're an RKC or a strong first person, honestly, and you're, especially if you're over the age of 40, I'm telling you, my hat is off to you because that shit is tough. It is tough. I, I Like every single UFC fighter should do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've always, the only thing that's held me back is because I got two fingers ripped off on one hand. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, just the grip challenge of some of their standards Yeah. might be tricky. Yeah, yeah. But, because the grip's very different on my left hand to the right, but yeah that 300k rack pull i did i did no straps so oh, yeah when i first started deadlifting because my my pout my that's my strong finger because that one's missing that one got reattached so it hasn't got very much strength so that's the one where most of the load goes i tore that muscle in my finger every single time i deadlifted for about the first year of training and that was on my like 60k um and so it gets stronger got stronger but this is something that people don't understand, right? So I get a lot of people who are training and they go, I can't do it, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm hurting. Uh, I can't do it, my, my back, I can't do it, my, my knee, I can't do it, blah, 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 right? I've trained injured probably uh, a big part of my training life. I have ever since I was 10 years old. And it's something you learn to live with or you don't do it. But only the person knows the difference between whether their injury is something that feels a little bit too bad or it's something that they can train around or with. So right now, I would say I'm training with injury because my back is 100%. My knee, definitely my knees aren't 100%. But I still push it to the level that I can. And they ache sometimes and they hurt, but it doesn't stop me doing it. And then over time... What you start to find is over time, this is where we go all the way back full circle to when I said to you, do you find people with injuries and that they train and then they get better? That's what seems to happen. The injury starts to dissipate. You start to get stronger and you start to overcome the injury, depending on what it is. I'm not just saying everybody should go out who's well, got a blown disc. And most, most people aren't used to being uncomfortable and don't like being uncomfortable. And so the part of training, I think this this is where, say, the mental side can get a lot of benefit from training is people start learning resilience. Yeah. And I need to read that, um, what's his name, Ross Edgley book no, called The Art of Resilience, where right. he, basically, he basically just sets himself a bunch of hard shit to do. 
Well, that's what I'm just, doing at the moment. Just yeah. for the sake of it. And even like little things, he's like, and even, he said it starts with like the decision of, do you know what, it's cold outside and I'm just going to make the decision to go outside without that jacket. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck it. And like, that's the first step in it. And a lot of people just don't have the resilience and don't like discomfort. And so part of it is getting, what's the term, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big saying at the moment, yeah. And yeah. What's, the, what's the other one? It's David Goggins, isn't it? Everyone quits oh. at 40%. I mean, he he is a legend to me at the moment. I mean, I'm following a lot of his stuff, and and I actually I was watching um, I was watching him on a podcast the other day, and um, no, it wasn't him. It was somebody who trained with him. Right, no, it was two. two... I wouldn't want to be that guy. Right, two... I, Neil, no. Neil, what? Uh, the baby's coming back. I can hear the front door opening. All right, so dude. we're going to have to do that another time. I'm going to say goodbye to you and I'm going to leave my last message on here. But, um, <laughs> dude, thanks for um, coming on. Thanks for all your insight. And we want to go back and do the, some rehab stuff at some point. Yeah, well, like, we've got plenty to talk to. We can do this as many times as you want. Cheers, Luke. I'll let you know when this is all done and dusted and I'll put some little clips up as well. Do you take care of yourself? Look after that baby and your other half. And uh, best of luck, dude. I'll see you soon. All right. Awesome, take care. Mate. Thank you very much. Have a good see day. Ya. You too, mate. Bye bye. Bye. Well, that's it. Uh, sorry that we haven't been able to do any live chat work because um, we had a real problem with the software right at the start trying to get this onto YouTube. So it was really, really awkward. Um, what I wanted to say right at the end there, um, if I can remember, was um, we I was talking about David Goggins and not many people see his full workout re regime, right? And I got hold of a video. It's on YouTube. You can go and uh, see it. And he, he's taking a training session. I think it's in Australia, okay? And it's just a bodyweight training session, right? And um, <laughs> I decided in my front room, put the telly on, I'm going to go through his bodyweight session. And I'm not trying to – there's no way I could keep up with a guy like this, but – Remember, he doesn't really put on a lot of stuff that he does. You see him running along and like he, he'll shout at the camera about motivation stuff. Yeah. And um, he doesn't really, you don't know what he does. That You see him doing some press ups and a few things like that. So anyway, cut a long story short, I'm there um, in my tracksuit. And I thought uh, I'll do David Goggins workout. So. He, he comes in and he's all like, uh, yeah, we're going to fucking do this, man. Fucking uh, fuck, 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 because he swears all the time. And that's his thing. And uh, he starts off with uh, star jumps, jumping jacks, right? So he's got a whole kind of like, there's a load of people in the gym in front of him and he's leading the session. And he does jumping jacks and it, and and. Each four is one. So it goes one, two, three, one, one, two, three, two, one, two, three, three. Get the idea? Like he went to 350. <coughs> By the time I got to 50, I was done. My legs, my ankles, my calves were killing me. And he did not lose focus. His positioning did not change once. His breath, he, well, he was totally in control for 350 reps. And if you think that four, <coughs> not just one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, one, two, three, two, <coughs> he's knocking out the best part of a thousand reps. Try and do it. Just try and do that. That was the first 
10, 15 minutes of his training session. And then he went into hundreds of press ups and lunges and squats. And it was just like crazy. And this was just a normal workout for this guy. And uh, he was able to do this by reprogramming and retraining his mind to push him through anything. If you read his book, I would say, get his book, David Goggins, right? And if you read his book, he just would run a hundred miles. He would, he had broken bones in his legs and he would just tape them up. I'm not saying you should do this, but the power of the mind over the body is incredible. And he literally created a different persona. They created a different persona that he goes into when he's doing these things so that he will never give up. And a lot of that was born through his adversity when he was in, I think, when he was in Navy SEALs training. And they would push him to his limit. And instead of breaking, he actually turned it back on them and said, give me more, give me more. In fact, I'm going to make you give me so much more. I'm going to turn it on to you and make you feel literally useless for pushing me because I can do whatever you do. So it's all this, this fact of not getting broken. You can't. Whatever you do to me, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming. And I'm never, ever going to stop, no matter what. And as Luke said a little while ago, it's this feeling of being uncomfortable but being comfortable with being uncomfortable now a lot of people a lot of you have heard that and, and it's a really true saying if you're not uncomfortable and you're living this comfortable life then you're going to be hitting roadblock after roadblock and you never go anywhere or do anything you just in fact i think there's a lot of people like that nowadays um we're hitting hard times guys and hard times calls for um hard thinking um hard emotional well-being you need to harden up you need to get this lockdown hard um i don't know but anyway um if you watch this and you stick through to the end thank you so much i'm gonna i've got a lot of different fitness people coming on um there's a lot we can do to improve this i haven't got the best setup you know um i do it as i can uh but hopefully there's some information coming out about how people do stuff um i have a great amount of respect for luke and what he does um he's an awesome guy if you want to get in touch either leave me a message uh in on the youtube channel and we'll we'll, we'll get it over to him but uh go and train with him like check out the stuff that he does um you know go go and sign up with him go you know he does it through another company so you'll have to go through them as well but um like it's well worth it you know he's a top guy one of the best in london i, I kid you not um so uh so yeah that's it um my name's neil meekins this was the momentum fitness podcast i hope you enjoyed it please if you get a chance i don't put like share subscribe everywhere but it really does help if you just you know just hit that like button and you know subscribe to the channel if you found it useful um i hope you have so that we can continue the more likes and the more messages and things like that we get the more people we can have on the more information we can give out there um sorry if you started the channel at first and we you know we had the technical problems but uh, uh there you go uh take care and uh stay safe look after each other in lockdown but more off more more than anything get out and train change your life do something give up smoking knock down the drinking stop taking the bloody drugs 
Stop it. It's not big. It's not clever. No one cares. It's too much of it, guys. It's too much of it. You're just wasting yourself away. Okay? Man up. Stand up for yourself. Make yourself the fittest, strongest, best version of yourself that you possibly can. You've only got one life. You've only got one chance to make the very, very best out of this. You don't know where you can actually go. You could take yourself into places you cannot imagine. You'll get your highs from beating those that say, no, you can't do that. Believe me, you will. You really will. And you don't have to be anything super successful. It's just you and your life and improving your life and learning. Learn and move on. Take care, guys. Look after each other. I'll see you on the next uh, podcast, hopefully. Bye-bye.